Are you fighting for your commitment you made to God? Welcome to Cutting It Straight with Pastor H.B. Charles Jr., author and pastor-teacher at Shiloh Church in Jacksonville and Orange Park, Florida. Today's text out of Nehemiah, Pastor Charles will show us the unwavering honesty of God's Word. Today's message, Confronting Spiritual Compromise. And now, here's Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. You need to grow. What I want to say tonight is, not only must you be determined to grow, you must be determined to guard the growth. We'll see that from verses 4 through 31, but let me just read a portion of it to you, beginning of verse number 4. Now, before this, Eliashib the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain wine and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers and gatekeepers and the contributions for the priest. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. And after some time, I asked leave of the king and came to Jerusalem. And I then discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry. And I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders and they cleansed the chambers. And I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. Confronting spiritual compromise. Confronting spiritual compromise. One of the reasons why I believe the Bible is the word of God is because the Bible is so honest. The Bible tells the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Nehemiah chapter 13 is a perfect illustration of the unwavering honesty of God's word. The first half of the book of Nehemiah It's about the rebuilding of the city walls of Jerusalem under the God-ordained leadership of Nehemiah. But after the wall is completed, the rest of the book of Nehemiah is about the rebuilding of the people who would live in the city with the rebuilt wall. This spiritual reformation begins in earnest in Nehemiah chapter 8, which records the revival at the water gate. 
And after chapter 8, you'll see that there is this growing flame of revival that becomes a glorious inferno by the time you get to chapter 12, which records the dedication of the temple of God, or the walls of the city, I should say. And if the Bible was just a human document, the product of human thought, I'm convinced that the book of Nehemiah would end at chapter 12 with the high note of the dedication of the wall. One of the evidences that this is the God-breathed scripture is that Nehemiah adds one more chapter, chapter 13, where we see that the fires of revival are extinguished by the waters of compromise. The book ends on a low note with Nehemiah confronting spiritual compromise among God's people. I have a, one of my favorite books of devotionals is a book entitled uh, Glorious Intruder by Johnny Erickson Tada. And in that book, Tada writes about what she calls the mythical standstill Christian. The mythical standstill Christian. By which she argues that the Christian transmission only has two gears drive and reverse, no neutral, no park, which means spiritually, if you are not going forward, you are automatically going backwards. In fact, she says that our spiritual growth is like true love. It either keeps growing or begins to die. And as it is with true love, so it is with our walk with God. Either you are going forward or you are going backwards. In fact, um, just a footnote, when I grew up in church, during the invitation, they not only made an invitation to the unsaved, the lost that needed to be saved, people that needed a church home, but they also extended an invitation to a group many of y'all are too young to even hear of called the backslider. People who were close to God, but at some point drifted away. Because of this reality, What I want to say tonight is that you must not only be determined to grow, you must be determined to guard your growth. You must fight to honor the commitments you have made to God. That's the bottom line of everything I want to say tonight. You must fight to honor the commitments you have made to God. This is the message of Nehemiah chapter 13. In verse 6, Nehemiah tells us that in the 32nd year of the reign of King Artaxerxes, for whom he served as cupbearer, he had left Jerusalem where he was governor and had rebuilt the city wall and went back 
to serve Artaxerxes. But after some undisclosed period, we are told that he returns to Jerusalem only to discover that all of the spiritual reforms that he had established had been reversed. If you are taking notes, you should jot down Nehemiah chapter 10, verses 28 through 39, where the people are getting right with God. And as they are getting right with God, they make specific commitments to God concerning their time, their relationships, and their finances. But what I want you to see tonight is, every commitment they made in chapter 10, they broke by chapter 13. And when Nehemiah shows up and finds out that they're they going backwards, Three times in this chapter, he says, I confronted them. I confronted them. Your translation may say, I contended with them. I think the NIV says, I rebuked them. He says it in verse 11. He says it in verse 17. And he says it in verse 25. I confronted them. The verb there means to strive. It is the picture of striving either verbally, legally, or even physically. And this is what we find here in the text. You'll catch him in a moment. At certain points in the text, Nehemiah literally starts fighting. To call the people back to God. I can't recommend that you do everything that Nehemiah does in this chapter. But spiritually, you need to fight to honor the commitments you have made to God. You see, church, and I'll get at, at the text and we won't be here long, I trust. But let me say one more thing by way of introduction. You don't grow spiritually instantly or automatically or inevitably. Spiritual growth is a process, and this process is the result of godly habits that facilitate spiritual growth. You don't just wake up one morning and you are spiritually mature. When you have that mindset, you know what happens? you end up being in church for 30 years and still a spiritual baby. Spiritual growth is the result of godly habits that facilitate spiritual development. And for you to grow, you've got you to make commitments to God in your time and in your finances and in your relationships. But what I'm trying to say to you tonight is that once you make those commitments, you can't let your guard down. Because the flesh and the world and the devil will constantly attack your commitment to God. And so you, you've got to be determined to grow, but you must also be determined to guard the growth. You must contend against spiritual compromise in your relationships, in your finances, 
and in your time. Let me show you that in the text. First, consider with me the fact that you need to confront spiritual compromise in your relationships. The problem of compromised companionship was the first issue Nehemiah addressed when he returned to Jerusalem. And in so doing, Nehemiah gives us a twofold warning about the danger of compromised relationships that can hinder your spiritual growth. First, we see that compromised relationships defile the house of God. Look with me at verses 4 and 5. Now, before this, Eliashib, the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God and who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering. Now, if you're not familiar with the book of Nehemiah, quickly, Nehemiah discovered from his brother as he was working for a pagan king, he discovered that the city walls of Jerusalem were still broken down and the people were in reproach. God laid it on his heart and opened the door for him to go back to rebuild the city wall. <laughs> the Bible says in the opening chapters that when he showed up, there were several men named Sam Ballot and Tobiah who hated him when he showed up just because he showed up to do something to help the people of Judah. And Sam Ballot and Tobiah fought the rebuilding of the wall every step of the way. The wall is built in chapter 6. The wall is finished in chapter 6. But even though the wall is finished and the plan is thwarted, in the succeeding chapters you'll see that this Tobiah guy was so wicked, he kept up his shenanigans even after the wall was built. The Bible tells us that he not only kept up his shenanigans, but when Nehemiah left town and came back, he found out that Tobiah was in the city. The man had been working against the people of God. He is in the city. He is not just in the city. He's moved in the city. Wait, wait, wait. He's not just moved into the city. There has been prepared for him a chamber in the house of God. He got an apartment in the temple. And his presence in the temple is an illustration of how the Lord's church can become corrupted through compromised relationships. Here we got a warning that you can't, you can't live with God and live for the world at the same time. Tobiah moved into the temple through his allegiance to Eliashib the priest. This is most likely the same man who is called the high priest in verse 28. And the first time Eliashib is mentioned is in chapter 3, verse 1, where he is one of the first people mentioned who committed to help rebuild the wall. 
But now by the end of the book, this priest who led the rebuilding of the wall now leads the defiling of God's house by allowing Tobiah to take up residence in it. Look at verses 7 through 9, and notice how Nehemiah replies to this. He says, I came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God, and I was very angry. How angry, Nehemiah? I threw out all this stuff (laughs) out of the chamber. And I gave orders for them to cleanse that chamber and brought back the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. This episode with Tobiah warns us tonight that the church needs people, especially leaders, who will stand up and speak out against spiritual compromise. The church needs people like Nehemiah who are grieved and angry and courageous when God's house is defiled with the world. In this hour of compromise, the church needs men and women and young people who will take a stand for fidelity of doctrine, holiness of lifestyle, and unity of fellowship. Will that be you? Let me throw in here that if you're going to stand for God against spiritual compromise, you must make sure you are doing it for the right reasons. If your motives are wrong, you only set yourself up for pain, rejection, and disappointment. I think we see that in the fact that three times in this chapter, this closing chapter, Nehemiah prays a prayer. And he simply asked God, remember me. Look at verse 14. Remember me, O my God, concerning this. And do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. You know why Nehemiah is praying like this? Because you can do good to help people and they forget it. And Nehemiah said, Lord, I want you to remember the work I've done for your house. But then drop down to verse 22. In the middle of verse 22, he prays again, remember this also in my favor, O my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love or loyal love. Do you see the shift in the language now in the middle of the chapter? After dealing with people a little longer? He says, Lord, don't remember me because of my good works. Remember me because of your loyal love. I grew up in church. My daddy was the pastor. My mama was the musician. And as he was preaching funerals, they would often sing in those funerals, let the work I've done speak for me. I said, that sounds like a noble Song. I hope somebody will sing at my funeral, let the work I've done speak for me. But now that I've been on the road a little while and 
done some things I ain't proud of. I don't want them to sing, let the work I've done speak for me at my funeral. I, I want them to sing, let the blood of Jesus speak for me. Y'all make up a song, write a song for my funeral. Let the blood of Jesus speak for me. This is kind of how Nehemiah is talking. He shifts from saying, remember me for my good works to saying, Lord, remember me because of your steadfast love. Aren't you glad about that tonight? That, that even if your works aren't what they should be, his love is loyal and God won't change his mind about you. And look at verse 31, the end of the book, not just the end of the chapter, the end of the book, the last line of Nehemiah is a prayer. Remember me, oh my God, for good. Nehemiah closes this book with no confidence that God's people will keep their long-term commitments to God. And so he ends throwing himself on the mercy of God. This is a lesson for spiritual leaders and all who take a stand for God. Don't put your trust in your good works and don't put your trust in the good works of others. Your only hope is to trust in the unchanging and unfailing goodness of God. Be careful because compromised relationships with the world can defile God's house. Now, let me drop down into the chapter a little more, because I also want you to see that if you're not careful, compromised relationships can not only defile God's house, it can also defile your house. You got your Bible open still? You had chapter 13. Go left one page. And just for the record, the convenience of just going left one page is why I bring a Bible to church and not just an iPad. <laughs> just helps me learn the Bible a little better, working through the pages of the text. I'll just do that out for free. That ain't got nothing to do with nothing. In chapter 10, verse 30, the people are getting right with God. And listen to what they say in commitment to God. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. They are making a commitment to God not to intermarry with unbelievers. Now go back to chapter 13 and look at verse 23. He says, in those days, when I showed back up, I also saw that the Jews had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Just three chapters ago. I mean, Sunday morning, they made promises to God. But by Wednesday... Do y'all get where I'm going with this? They had gone back on the commitments that they made. And, and Nehemiah confronts them again. Look at verse 25. You got to read it to just see I ain't making it up. And I confronted them and cursed them. 
and beat some of them <laughs> and pulled out their hair. I'm not lying. It's right here in the Bible if you didn't tear it out. And I made them take an oath in the name of God saying, you shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or your selves. He's he just saying, keep your word to God. Now, his actions may be extreme, <laughs> abusive, maybe illegal. May I add another word? It might be pastoral. With a pastor's heart, Nehemiah felt like somebody needed to slap some sense into these people <laughs> who had turned their backs on God. Listen, I'm not recommending the beating and the slapping and the pulling people's weaves out. I'm not recommending that. <laughs> but you need people in your life who, will con who love you enough to confront you. Help me hear somebody. When you are going in a direction that breaks your devotion to God. Let me tell you why Nehemiah was so upset. Go back up to verse 24. Because he says, your spiritual compromise is actually a form of spiritual child abuse. So what he says. He says, half their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of, of the peoples. Half the children being born in the holy city of Jerusalem were growing up learning the language of a foreign nation and was not learning the language of Judah. What language is that? Hebrew. Why is that significant? Because the Old Testament is in Hebrew. To say that they were not learning the language of Judah was to say they were not learning the word of God. And a whole generation of children were being lost to the world because so-called godly people we're not walking the talk. I wish I had a praying church here. And it's a warning to us. Listen, church. Little houses got big windows. And there's a generation of young people that are turning from God watching the church play games with the world. Listen to what he says in verse 26. Did not King Solomon of Israel sin on account of such women? Among the many nations, there was not a king like him. And he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin. Here's what he's saying. You can't afford to play with the world. 
Because if you play with the world, they will pull you away. It will pull you away from God. You can say, oh, that won't happen to me. This is what Nehemiah said. It happened to Solomon. They say Solomon, the Bible calls him the wisest man who ever lived. Most of the book of Proverbs is written by Solomon, and Proverbs are just wise sayings. But not only did Solomon write Proverbs, he wrote Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is the sermon of a brokenhearted man who is lamenting the fact that he has forsaken God. And you know what the point of the whole sermon of Ecclesiastes is? Is this. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity and chasing after the wind. Nehemiah brings up Solomon to warn them, this is what happens when you play with the world. You can't get close to the world without love for the world undermining your love for God. This is why maybe this issue was drugged from the Old Testament into the New Testament. In the second Corinthians chapter six, verses 14 and 15, Paul writes, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has unrighteousness, has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has Christ with Bilal? Or what portion does a believer have with unbeliever? You can't go in two different directions at the same time. You got to guard your commitment to God, and confront spiritual compromise in your relationships. But secondly, you must guard and confront spiritual compromise in your finances. The first three verses, look at verse 1 of chapter 13. On that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter into the assembly of the house of God. If you're taking notes, jot down that Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 10, calls Tobiah the Ammonite servant or the Ammonite official. Tobiah wasn't just an Ammonite. He was an Ammonite Governor, politician, ruler. Now look at verse 5 again. It was prepared for Tobiah, who was an Ammonite, who shouldn't even be in the house of God, a large chamber in God's house. They made him a studio apartment in the temple after God had commanded that no Ammonite should be in the assembly of his people. But that's not the worst part. Listen to what else Nehemiah says. There was prepared for Tobiah a large chamber, look at the next phrase, where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, the tithes of grain, the wine, the oil, all of that was what was given by commandment of God to make sure the Levites and the singers and the gatekeepers who served in the temple were taken care of, and also the contributions to the priest. He shouldn't have been in the house of God. They set him up a studio apartment in the house of God. 
But notice where that apartment was. In the room, well, if I could say it this way, it was in the, the finance room of the temple where they kept the grain and the offering and the tithes. They gave that room to Tobiah. You know why? Because the grain and the offering and the tithes wasn't there. In Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 32 through 39, the people of God promised to financially care for the house of God. But now, three chapters later, apparently they had not given or stopped giving, and as a result, the room where the finances was kept was empty, so empty, they turned the room into an apartment for wicked Tobiah. And in verse 12, look at what Nehemiah says. Verse 9, let me start there. I gave orders, and they cleaned out that chamber and brought back the vessels of the house of God and the offering and the frankincense. And I found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field. So I confronted the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, the wine and oil into the storehouses. I, I like this. Because now they're not just making promises, they actually did it. But it reminds us that you not only got to guard your relationships to make sure you don't compromise, you got to also guard your financial commitment to God. Because the things of the world will take the place of God if you don't guard your commitment to him. Y'all got quiet on me here. We are reminded here that all of us are just stewards. You know what that word steward means? It just means a manager. You know what manager means? It means you don't own nothing that you have. It all belongs to God. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found what? Faithful. God expects you to be faithful with whatever he has entrusted to you. Here's the good news. God will never allow your faithfulness to go unrewarded. Have I got a witness there? Or let me say it the way I like to say it. If you just take care of God's business, God will take care of your business. Proverbs 3 verses 9 and 10 says it this way. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your increase. Then will your barns be filled with plenty and your vats be bursting with wine. That's a fancy way of saying you can't beat God given. No matter how hard you try. So confront spiritual compromise in your relationships, in your finances, and finally in your time. Go to chapter 10 one more time with me. Go left one page. Or scroll up three chapters. <laughs> chapter 10, 
chapter 10, verse 31. Nobody made them do this. They just was trying to get right with God. And they said in chapter 10, verse 31, and if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we will forego the crops of the seventh year. That's the Sabbath year. And we'll and the exaction of every debt in the seventh year, the Sabbath year. But go back to chapter 13. Look at verse 15. He says, in those days when I came back, I saw in Judah people treading the wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine and grapes and figs and all kinds of loaves which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians, people of Tyre, also who lived in the city, brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Jerusalem in Jerusalem itself. Just three chapters later, they were breaking their commitments to God about the Sabbath day. Now, I'm almost done, but let me just pause here to say, we talked about the Ten Commandments Sunday. Of the Ten Commandments, there's only one commandment that is not repeated or emphasized in the New Testament. It is the commandment to observe the Sabbath day. Some people call Sunday the Christian Sabbath. It's not. The Sabbath means, the word Sabbath means the seventh. It's the seventh day of the week, which is Saturday, not Sunday. Christians don't worship on the Sabbath. They worship on Sunday. Let me tell you why that's big. It's a statement about the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. All the early church were Jewish people who thought to be right with God, you had to live by the Ten Commandments. The commandment, the fourth commandment says, honor the Sabbath day to keep it holy because God made the world in six days and on the seventh day, he what? He rested. But when Jesus died at the cross and rose from the dead, they believed that in the resurrection, God did something greater in the resurrection of Jesus than he had even done in the creation of the world. So they stopped worshiping on the Sabbath Saturday in honor of creation and started meeting on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, which they didn't call Sunday. They called it the Lord's Day. Y'all not in here with me. And, and they celebrated Easter not once a year, but every Sunday morning. And when you read Hebrews, they say in Hebrews that the Sabbath, for, the ultimate Sabbath, is not in a day, it's in a person. Because you never get real rest until you get Jesus Christ. And so the New Testament church is not under the legal obligation of Sabbath observation. But that doesn't mean you can disregard God with your time. 
the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is God says, just give me one day in the New Testament. You know what God says? Consecrate every day to me. Every day you are blessed to wake up. You ought to wake up. I don't care what you went through last night. And I don't care what you got to face that day. If God wakes you up in the morning, it means he still has you in his plans. Which means every morning you wake up, you should be singing Psalm 118 verse 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. But, but the lesson of the text is, if you are not careful, busyness will crowd God out. Listen, church, if you're too busy for God, you're just too busy. And we are prone to neglect God for the sake of family and work and fun and pleasure and sports. <laughs> Some of the blessed saints of Shiloh. Not none of y'all, of course. Not none of y'all. <laughs> Ditch the Lord for a sports game or a day at the beach or so many other things and say God understands. I don't know if God understands. Uh, because while they celebrating Sunday at the Super Bowl, they, they celebrate and they win, but that ain't going to benefit you no way. You're going to need the Lord and the Patriots and all the Falcons going to be there when you need the Lord. Help me hear somebody. And, and sometimes when we're going through stuff, the first thing we want to ditch is our time with God. God understand. He know I couldn't get to church because I'm going through. Let me tell you something. When I'm going through... I need, I need, I need to be at a place that gives me news that you can't get on Fox, CNN, and MSNBC. You, you need news from another network in glory. I need a preacher to stand up and remind me that God is still on the throne. I need to hear somebody sing amazing grace. Are y'all in here with me? And every time you show up, I don't care what you're going through, every time you show up in this room right now are people that have been through what you're going through. Let me say that again. In this room right now are people that have been through what you're going through. Help me hear somebody. Sickness. Somebody else done been there. Looking for work, trouble in your marriage, child going astray, grief and sorrow. There are people in this room that can tell you that the same God that brought me through that, he ain't sick, he ain't dead, he ain't hurt. I'm just, I didn't even mean to go that far. I just meant to say don't compromise. Your time with God. Don't let anything 
get in the way of your time with God. You need to learn how to sing like Annie Hawk. I need thee every hour. Most gracious Lord, no tender voice like thine can, can I afford. You need God every hour. Verses 19 through 22. Let me read. I've got one more thing to say and we're going to pray. Nehemiah says, as soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath. The merchants, sellers of all kinds of wares, lodged outside the city, outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them and said to them, why do you lodge outside the wall if you do so again I will lay hands on you. I don't think that's the kind of laying on the hands that you're thinking about neither. I'm going to lay hands on you, he says. And from that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Again, I'm not recommending Nehemiah's violence. I'm not recommending that. But I am saying spiritually, you need to fight against those things that would tempt you to compromise your time with God. Now, here's my last word. What, HB, if I have already crossed the line? What if the confronting I need to do is corrective, not preventative? What if I've already compromised in my time, finances, or relationships? Let me show you one more thing in the text, and I'm done. Notice in verse 9 what Nehemiah did after he kicked Tobiah out the temple. Verse 9, I gave orders that they cleansed the chambers. See it? And then drop down to verse 22, and, and, and we just read it. Notice what he did after he locked the gates to guard the Sabbath. I commanded the Levites, them the singers. He made them security guards. But first he said, purify yourselves and come help me guard the gates. Drop down to verse 30. Notice how Nehemiah dealt with the priests who were intermarrying. He says, I cleanse them from everything foreign. I cleanse them. I wash them. I purified them. With every point of compromise in time, finances, and relationships, Nehemiah re replied with the ritual of external cleansing. But I submit to you tonight that in Christ, you can deal with spiritual compromise with the reality of internal cleaning. First John 1 and 9, and I'm done. If we confess our sins, 
You know what that means? It just means tell God like it is. He is faithful and what? And just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I can hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left its crimson stain, but he washed me white as snow. I'm finished. God be praised. Stand with me. Let's pray. If you're here tonight and you need to take a step of faith in Christ, you want somebody to pray with you or show you the way of Christ or join our church, elders and deacons will be up front here. We'd love to talk to you, pray for you, welcome you. Tonight we'll close with a word of prayer. Grab a hand on either side. Even if you got to cross an aisle to do that, that's okay. Grab a hand. If you don't know the name of the person whose hands, you're grabbing, lean over and ask his name and ask her name. So look, um, we, we friends, we cool. I, I hope, you know, I, I didn't expect you to shout on that tonight. But I hope, I hope you will help tonight. hope you will challenge tonight. Some of us here tonight need to make some commitments to God. You can't, you're not just going to wake up mature. Growth is the result of commitments you make to godly habits that facilitate growth. You need to make some commitments to God maybe tonight terms of your time, your finances, your relationships. And then there are others of us who have made these commitments to God but have started backsliding. You know what backsliding means? In a real sense, church, if there was ever a time in your life When you are closer to God than you are now, you're going in the wrong direction. We're to be growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, not going backwards. And so some of us tonight need to grow. Some of us need to work to guard where we've grown. Don't you feel like that? Don't you feel like with the Lord you done come too far to be going back? Ain't nothing worth it. Ain't nobody worth it. Going too far. Old James Cleveland said he ain't ain't brought me this far to leave me. He done brought me too far for me to leave him too. (laughs) If you leave him, where are you going? So let's pray tonight. Now, before we pray, let's sing, let's sing a prayer tonight. I surrender all.
will try to course with me again. I surrender all. you've heard. Pray for the hands you hold tonight. Uprising in your laying down, in your work, in your leisure. From this day forth, now and forevermore, until we meet finally and ultimately around the throne of Jesus, where there is the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the church said, Amen. Thanks for listening to Cutting It Straight with Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. If you would like more resources from Pastor Charles or to support this ministry, he can be reached online 
at www.hbcharlesjr.com. That's hbcharlesjr.com. Join us again for Cutting It Straight, and God bless.